and welcome to the Rostrum Agency Managing Reputational Risk podcast with me, Grant Baser. In this series of podcasts, I'll be discussing crisis and reputation management from a public relations and media perspective. I'll take a look at the definition of a crisis, what it feels like to be engulfed in a media storm, the role of a crisis communications team, and what steps businesses and individuals can take to minimise media exposure around reputational risk. Each episode, I'll be joined by guests who will give their unique insight into managing reputational risk. And of course, I'll give my take from a PR perspective. Having started my career as a journalist before becoming a company spokesperson and PR professional, I've seen all angles of a crisis. So join me and my guests as we delve into the issues that play into managing reputational risk. In today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Gideon Block, CEO of US-based company Vinesight an organisation that uses AI to identify misinformation and disinformation. Gideon, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I start every podcast with a very simple question, the very same question. Um, How do you define a crisis? So first of all, thanks for having me, Grant. Um, Really excited to to be here on the podcast. Um, The the definition of a crisis, you know, I'm going to start with the um, traditional definition, which is a crisis is a unforeseen circumstance that has the attention of people you care about um, and is hurting uh, your organization. But what I'm going to try to do is make a little bit of a, a, a turn to the new world where um, crises um, in our world are related to topics like disinformation, toxicity online. A crisis can be caused by bad actors. Right? When those bad actors are then also lying and with intent to hurt your organization, that's then called disinformation. Um, a crisis might be call, caused by people being wrong on the internet. Um, that happens. And when those um, are also lying about your brand, that's then called misinformation. Um, so the new world has a variety of crises um, that we um, at Vinesight are, uh, are preparing for. So how does Vinesight work? What we do is we focus on the detection and mitigation um, of toxicity. Um, and so just to put some definitions on the table at the beginning, because we're going to talk through these. Um, I already mentioned disinformation and misinformation, right? Those indicate lies. Um, But in general, toxicity is really the broader um, category of what we're talking about. Um, So we uh, build a unique AI technology that can identify toxicity. That could be true stories as well, um, but all with intent to hurt your brand um, or or causing to hurt your brand. Um, And we mitigate the damage um, for our clients. So our clients are the ones being attacked by this. Think um, major brands. We work with Fortune 500 companies, um, global organizations and and banks and and pharma, uh, but also causes like climate change and women's health um, and voter fraud um, and uh, campaigns as well. This is really um, affecting everyone in in the new world that we live in. And the goal that we're trying to uh, get to is level the playing field by detecting toxicity in their early stages and also mitigating the damage for our clients. Okay. And how, how do you go about that? How do you find that misinformation, disinformation, that toxicity to then be able to draw it out? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's absolutely um, the, the challenges that, um, that are out there. Right. And that, that's what we focus on. So what we are, and maybe um, interesting to notice is we're, um, we're a team of data scientists, algorithm researchers, um, so I myself, even uh, even though I um, am the CEO of Vinesight, my PhD is in, in computer science and, and um, algorithmic game theory. Um, and the idea is to really approach this very complex 
slash philosophical slash political, but uh, um, bigger problem through data. Um, that's that's what we decided to do. Um, so we took a little bit of a different approach. When you think about detection of, of toxicity, a lot of people think about, well, looking at what it says, right? If you see a toxic post, um, then the, the first thing that comes to mind is like, okay, can I analyze that um, and, and understand it? And that's usually... You know, if, if you know something is, is a lie or something is toxic, that, that can be done. Like, think about you're a human being like reading uh, something. Um, but there's some challenges there. What, what happens when it turns into sarcasm um, or when it's a different language that you don't understand? Or when there's 10,000s of those similar posts that you can't really analyze yourself? Right. Um, so what we do is we took a different approach. We build an a, um, AI algorithm. Um, a, um, a classifier that basically identifies this not based on the content, but based on how the story travels over the social network. Um, so the idea there is if we can look at the nodes that are touching this story, really the, the accounts and how they're spreading the story amongst themselves, then that can give us an indication on the story itself. And we don't even have to look at the story um, at the content to identify this then um, as toxicity. I, I always use the uh, analogy. So think if you go to buy a, a nice bag, a Louis Vuitton bag, right, um, on, on, on the street. So so first of all, there's there's the official Louis Vuitton uh, uh, store that you can buy from. That gives you some credibility, right? This is a real bag from Louis Vuitton. Um, you can also go to uh, the market, right, and, and buy it there. So chances are when you buy it at the market, it's not going to be uh, an official version of this. Sure. Um, but, you know, there's also a chance that when you buy it from the official store, that some of the parts, how do you know that those parts are, are actually, uh, you know, part of the brand and are the correct parts? You don't really know. You kind of trust the brand. Yeah. So what Vinesight is able to do is we're able to look at the node that is the last node, right, or the node that brings it out to the world, but also that entire path that of all those nodes before it. So if we kind of take that analogy further, we would really be able to see like, oh, this is where all the parts came from. This is who touched all those parts. And this is what finally comes to you. And so that's kind of every, every type of connection there becomes a new source with credibility that we can then uh, use to tell you something about the bag, about the story itself. Got you. And then once you uh, present it to, to your clients and say, this is, this is the story, how do you then get rid of it or or change the narrative or how do you work with, with clients to ensure that misinformation, disinformation is, is corrected? Right. So I, I think that there's a few layers to uh, to what we provide at Vinesight. Um, the first is, uh, as I said, the detection part, right? You have to find the story in their, their early stages um, by looking at the patterns in the network. And when we do that, we're really looking everywhere. Um, so just to make sure, right, we're looking at those places where where it just starts bubbling up, um, yeah. not not the mainstream, but really the early, the early places. By looking at it in a content agnostic way, we can actually then do different languages and memes and videos. I'm sure you've heard now of the GPT-3 and, and all the uh, right generative AI. Um, that stuff we can catch because we're not looking at the content. And then we do that cross-social. Right from so over all the platforms, from Twitter to Telegram to uh, the more fringe platforms like 4chan or, or True Social. Um, then once we catch that and we catch that data, our clients want to understand first and foremost how important is it? Because when I go back to the definition of a crisis, I mentioned part of that is that people you care about 
are are really being affected by this or seeing yeah. it, right? And so if people are seeing it, but you don't care about them, right? That that really changes its importance. So we immediately give the accompanying data um, to our clients, um, helping them understand how the story, first of all, is traveling between social networks, um, what bot networks are behind it, um, creating the narratives automatically. Um, so we actually have this incredible um, um, new technology that doesn't just give you the post, but creates a narrative around that um, in th- across social media. So you can really just click on the narrative and see see everything across social media and how that's spreading. And then finally, mapping out the stakeholders, right? So you want to understand, are the stakeholders that I care about, is, is it almost exposing them or is it already exposing them? And so you can precisely pinpoint right, where, where your liabilities are and where your exposure is. Now, all of that we call the second layer. So the first layer is detection and the second layer is all of the accompanying data, where it's going viral, among who is going viral, um, et cetera. Finally, the mitigation. Um, yeah. um, as you said, what the hell do you do about it, right? <laughs> Um, so there are several several types of mitigation, and I wouldn't say that this is this is a complicated problem, right? So there's no you know simple uh, one mitigation that fits all, right? There is several types in, in, of of crises, and there's they should have several types of mitigation. Um, one of those is seeing how this um, violates terms of service. So as I mentioned, we're not looking at the content in order to identify um, the story. We actually look at the nodes. Now, a lot of these nodes are breaking terms of service on social media. It could be that those nodes um, have been banned before. Um, it could be that those nodes um, are impersonating um, um, someone else um, or their spam reply or coordination behind the scenes. All of those types of structural um, issues with those nodes, you can actually flag um, to social media um, because it's violating their terms of service. Now, if the story that they're also sharing, for example, is a false story that has been fact-checked before, that's also something that you can have labeled on certain platforms. So that is an automated process at Vinesight that we then reach out to the platforms in order to flag this for our clients. That's one type of, of mitigation. The other types of mitigation have to do more with the pushback, right? Understanding how your, your stakeholders are being exposed by the negative, and then can you map out the positive? So we provide the data then for our clients so they can then um, make create better content and really help understand how they should push the, the right messaging back um, to the people they care about. Great. And, and you mentioned a, a really interesting point. So when we engage with our clients around reputation management, we tell them, you know, the the importance of the, the monitoring and not just on the platforms that they're on, you know, they're, they're probably on LinkedIn, they're probably on Twitter, they may have a bit of a Facebook presence, but also those platforms that they're not on that many organizations just kind of might just forget about or ignore because you think, well, I'm not on there. So what do they matter? But, you know, as, as you've said, it's it's about that whole element. It's finding out where the 4chan's uh, truth social, where you think their brand might not be mentioned, but in fact they are. And there could be huge reputational damage being done, but they just don't know about it. So it is harking back to something that you know, I've, I've touched on numerous times on these on these podcasts is the importance of a really robust monitoring process across traditional and, and social media. I think that that's um, very correct because in those places that you're not looking, that's, first of all, where people are um, starting certain conspiracy theories. 
uh, or um, they are already attacking a brand, you have no idea about it. And so there is uh, so many that can start in 4chan and we have multiple examples of that. And then they kind of jump to different platforms, um, make their way a lot of times to CNN as well. Um, not that CNN is then spreading it, but more reporting on it, right? Uh, because they become so famous. Um, and I think that um, this is something that um, that is very, if you're not looking at these new types of platforms, then you're just behind. You are living in, in a world that is not updated um, for your brand. And I think that um, the analogy, and I, I apologize for all these analogies, but I think uh, the way that I that I looked at it is when you think of uh, TV, uh, how that started, right? So you had a, a bunch of channels and then all of a sudden there's cable. Yeah. Um, so before you just had your three channels and you trust the, the channel itself. And, and that was a very easy way to look at it information. And then you have cable um, and all of a sudden you have tons of channels. And after cable, you have internet and social media. And now it's again, the next era, which is alternative social networks, right? So you should be really looking at those um, because if not, then it's really as if, you know, you, cable just came out and you're just still looking at those three channels um, as before. You're just missing this whole space. And how, how serious is this threat? How, you know, how, uh, misinformation and disinformation seems to have been you know, pop, popping up in in the narratives a, a bit more. But how how seriously should organisations be be taking this? Maybe this takes me a little bit back to the history of Vineside. We we started Vineside around uh, four years ago, um, as um, as I mentioned, as as data scientists, and with with the understanding that the world is is changing um, to towards a more complex world, right, where toxicity can just be spread so quickly. Um, and what we did is in the beginning, we we focused more on causes. I mentioned climate change, right? More kind of the, the nonprofit political side of things. And we saw more and more that the problem was reaching brands. Because I, if you would have spoke, first of all, if you would have taken me 10 years back, um, then I would have never forced like, everyone's like, what the hell happened in these 10 years, right? The whole world <laughs> crazy. Um, and then you kind of try to pin it down and says, okay, so what really happens? Like, okay, so we had Trump versus Biden and we had Russia, Ukraine, and we had COVID. And those are, those are big things. Um, but also the change of social media, right? This change of spread of data and the, 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 the fact that any user now can change stock prices on subreddits um, can influence democracy can, can really, hurt your brand. So kind of that, where we started at Vineset first in a nonprofit political space, we shifted more and more towards corporate. This actually came at the same time that we raised capital from, um, from leading uh, venture capital. Um, and they saw that this is something uh, that they coined with us um, as reputational cyber. So you, you know, the traditional cyber hacked in, you was protecting you from hacking from, from all those type of things. And now what they are seeing or what, what we're seeing is that a reputational damage can do similar damage to uh, two brands. So just an example of that um, is um, a few a few months ago, Eli Lilly, the big pharma company, um, they had a fake tweet that that was up on Twitter that said that insulin um, is is now going to be free, right? So they, they manufacture insulin um, and that, that was just going to be free uh, free for all. Now, According to many outlets and, and just looking at their stock price, 
um, that that wiped up $15 billion of their market cap. Wow. And not just theirs, right? So it's their market cap, but also of companies that are similar to them. Um, so this did um, enormous damage. And if you today go on Wall Street Bets on Reddit, there are um, people talking about, right, you know, pushing stock or short selling stock all the time. And a lot of these people might, you know, it might be that that's what they do and they just you know, give a big F you to the hedge funds. Um, yeah. But then there's others that are more nefarious and you, you don't really have any idea who's behind that stuff, right? So I think that as a brand, like imagine, and, and this is how we pitch other clients, by the way, um, and what we do for, for our current clients, imagine if Eli Lilly had Vinesight, right? We would have taken that down immediately because um, it was an impersonation account. And yeah. so for our current clients, right, we, um, we are taking those accounts down. We find similar accounts. We always tell them, you know, this might seem like just an account that has 12,000 followers and just, you know, put your name and logo on it, but people can buy those, right? You can, you can just search for those, buy them, um, and then ruin your organization. Why would you want that exposure and, and liability on your part? Let's take that down. Um, and that's, that's really, uh, you know, I mentioned the 15 billion, but there's this countless of examples, right, um, to, to really show the damage that this does. If I'm remembering it right, it was a couple of weeks after the Elon Musk takeover of Twitter when you know, the, it was the the blue tick where you could you know anyone could buy it and and become who they you know, who they wanted to be really. Um, right. It seemed to cause quite a few issues for a number of organisations. The Eli Lilly is a is a really great one. Going back to to Reddit, um, I'm currently in the middle of the documentary about GameStop, and I guess that's where you know Reddit Reddit all started and became a campaign around it and i'm certain that there are many organizations that don't look at that platform do you think organizations large and small should be should be monitoring what's being said on reddit and and having a monthly or or weekly just quick search around on, on what's going on there i mean they should definitely be monitoring that um i think that there is a, and there's a few right it's not just wall street bets um there there's a few influential ones um and and just to take a step back, it's what it shows is that you can have a group of users that change stock prices by spreading information on social media in, in, in a fast manner, right? So it, organizations should be monitoring those subreddits. Absolutely. It shouldn't be a weekly or a monthly um, search because then it's way too late. Yeah. Um, it should just be a monitoring alert system uh, for that. So specifically with stock prices, right? The, the key is to get there as early as possible and to make sure that even if something isn't viral yet, you kind of see it bubbling up and you already can get ahead of it. doesn't mean you have to immediately do something about that, but the data just to help understand that that is something that can get out of hand um, and you might get journalists asking about that quickly, um, that, that is something that's very valuable. And you know, technology is evolving all the time. You said, you know, in the in the four years or so that Vimesight's been going, that the technology has evolved tremendously. Um, deep fakes, um, obviously, a, a big part of the the evolution um, of of AI and of, and of tech. How how much of a threat could you, do you see deep fakes being for for organisations? Yeah, so that <laughs> um, it's it, I think that that's a very timely question. So if you, if you, uh, deepfakes are not something new. 
Um, they're they're relatively new, but they've been around for a few years, um, and they've they've gotten a lot better. Now, I was asked the same question a few years ago, and the answer, first of all, a few years ago was, you know, you you can make you can do a lot of damage with very simple manipulated media. You don't need to create a very complicated deep fake video in order to do the same damage, right? Just cut and paste a video and just put it on social. And, and there's, there's a lot of damage that can be done that way Yeah. now. And, and I think that that was the right prediction because we, we did not see an enormous uptake in deep fake video or audio, um, to, you know, attacking, attacking, um, organizations or, or campaigns, but now fast forward, we are in a new world where chat GPT changed the, the rules of the game, right? So, um, there's a few things that are um, that are very new. One is um, the fact that you really now in text at least cannot um, identify if an AI has written it or if a human has written it. So before we go to videos and, and sound, let's just focus on that because if if you have a, a very or we already have right ChatGPT, then it's it's almost impossible to identify if a human or or a, an AI has written it. Now there's solutions out there and you might say like, oh, I know there's a solution and, and OpenAI even published a solution, but that solution does not work on a tweet. It does not work on a tweet in Spanish. Um, yeah. It does not work on a tweet in Spanish with errors in it. So I think that there is, um, there is no easy um, way to identify this by looking at the content. And I'll, I'll get back to that. We have seen now on TikTok, on other platforms, um, um, where there's deepfake AI uh, um, audio being used. Um, sometimes as a, it starts a lot of times as a joke, starts as a research project, starts at kind of just regular, regular ways. Um, and we've caught our initial um, AI manipulated uh, uh, deepfakes that are were really um, toxic and, and targeting. So that is something that we need to be prepared for. Same for videos. Right now, there's, there's. I'm sure you've seen the Instagram filters. Um, there is really the, um, the easiness. Right, it's so easy to create these. Why not use them? So that's what we should be really preparing for. And I think to maybe add another concern, not not to be uh, so negative about, about all. <laughs> it has a lot of positive uh, things um, as well, ChatGPT. Um, but there's one of the biggest concerns are also that it just this type of generative AI or, or you know, AI chatbots, they make, they make accounts sound so much smarter. Yep. In other words, before, when you had an influence campaign, right, then you had 10,000 bots that were all just kind of saying the same thing, or they were all just creating spam and spreading that around. Um, but then today and tomorrow, those are 10,000 extremely sophisticated sounding accounts. Um, and that looks a lot like, oh my God, I have 10,000 um, people that are real people that really are negative about my product and my brand. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that is a future that we really need to prepare for. Comes back to what I said before by looking at this in a non-agnostic way, by looking at the graph. If we've already flagged those accounts ahead of time, then we can say like, oh, I know that they sound like regular people and i know that they look like regular people but look we flagged them before as being spreaders of similar attacks um and and similar conspiracy theories etc 
So I think that's the way to go at this. Um, and looking at the content is just something that you're always going to be a step behind. Like today, you can maybe look at a deepfake video and say, oh, I, I see that it's not really um, uh, a real video. But those types of videos, imagine your CEO, right? A CEO of an organization is just in one of those videos and, and just saying something uh, with the voice that sounds like them. Um, that that can just, uh, yeah, absolutely do do immense damage. So that's something that we need to prepare, prepare for. Yeah, I've, I've heard you know, a number of, of podcasts um, where they, as it knows, a bit of a joke, they've done some audio of the president, of, you know, of President Biden and of Barack um, yeah. Obama, just as a bit of a joke. But even listening to it then, I thought there is so much damage that could potentially be done to an uninformed audience for if they've just switched on that podcast and just hear that 30 seconds they won't know it's a fake so there is just so much that organizations need to be preparing for for the audio for the video as you say that the quality is getting better all the time and this i know i know this is something something that big organizations will have to contend with and have to put on their their risk register but for smaller organizations how can they go about this and you know, mitigating this misinformation and disinformation where they may not think, oh, my CEO is going to be part of a deep fake, but hey, you know, they it could be a a customer isn't happy with their with the level of service and and starts a bit of a campaign. How do how do the smaller brands contend with these enhancements to to tech? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's it, your assumption, by the way, about the big brands also is still an assumption because I think the people working at those big brands are like, okay, sure, my, our market cap is $80 billion, but like this is never going to happen to us, right? So I think that even when you have Fortune 500 companies, um, this is something that they think it's not going to happen to them. Um, yeah. And it, it slowly, they're realizing that <laughs> if this can change democracies, right? And and you've, you mentioned Biden, obviously that does immense damage and in the US just note that the 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 changes in votes right if you can change several tens of thousands of votes right so US is is a country of 300 million 300 plus million right um but if you change 50,000 votes in key states Wisconsin or others right that could change elections right so it really comes down to specific states and and by by not huge margins so if you right these types of attacks can really uh, do a lot of damage now, when when moving that, um, as I said, to then corporations, they have a lot of learning to do, I think, in or understanding of like how, how this is affecting them. The smaller organizations now is even a more challenging uh, part, right? So I think there's there's two points to this. First is the understanding that this could happen to anyone, yeah. right? So there's really um, kind of that that's a, a, a mind shift. And that shift was also needed, right, when, when thinking of uh, uh, cyber. So a lot of small organizations, right? You have cyber insurance, for example. Um, today, that's standard. Um, yeah. A few years ago, it was like, wait, why do I have to pay now for cyber insurance? It's never going to happen to me, right? I'm not going to uh, um, be in this issue. And then all your computers are locked and you can't get to your stuff until you pay like 100 bitcoins. So um, I think that the change in understanding that it's going to happen to anyone is the first step. Um, and then the second step is that organizations like ours um, and, and other uh, PR firms as well. They now offer solutions um, for for any type of client, right? So the smaller kinds, they have different packages where the monitoring um, can, you know, it, it really goes up in the crisis. 
Um, and you know, them, as I said, it's, it's not ideal to, to start in crisis mode, um, but you can, you can already do some simple monitoring to make sure that, you know, you're, you're somewhat ahead of the issue. Um, and, um, to have a completely automated system is really the way to go here um, to make sure that there's a little human intervention you can already do, right? 70, 80, 90% of, of the job um, with that. I think what you've said there is so important is, is getting everything ready during the, the business as usual phase, because if a crisis hits, like it's you know all hands on deck and everyone needs to, you know, there's a bit of panic around. So anything you can do before a crisis to set processes, to set your monitoring terms up can make all the difference. You know, we advise the clients that we work with that have a list of monitoring terms that you know, we review each and every day. But then there may be crisis-specific additions. So it may be particular stakeholders or key individuals at the organisation or key brands or competitors that, they haven't considered and as long as you've got that core list just adding to it is relatively easy whereas having to start from scratch in a crisis and go we need all of this stuff can you know take up valuable time in a crisis every minute matters so having you know things like fast facts and statements ready having your list of contacts that you need to call or speak to having those approved statements beforehand makes all the difference as well as yeah, that that monitoring and maybe expanding where you monitor and how how frequently we we talk to all our clients about. I I totally agree. I think that's kind of the playbook, right? That that everyone um, should have. Um, and um, one of the things I, I mentioned, this is really brand new of of what we're uh, what we recently launched is um, that we that we don't need so that the keywords are automatic. Um, so because we're using that AI, it can find the keywords by itself. Um, but I think that even, even then, right, you want to have a base. You want to make sure like, okay, we're already monitoring. Um, we are now um, making sure that if a crisis comes up, right, as you said, the approvals are already out, the stakeholders are already mapped. Um, that That is something that every organization should absolutely do. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think we've we've answered this um, throughout the conversation, but um, as you know, I, I finish every podcast with with the question: you know, What steps would you suggest that individuals or organisations can take to mitigate and minimise their their exposure to to risk? Is there anything you'd you'd add to what we've already discussed? Um, well, they should talk to you, Grant. I think that's uh, <laughs> the great <laughs> answer. <laughs> <laughs> that's first of all, but I I think that. There's, there's, as I said, there's two, two steps to this. The first step is the understanding, right? Make sure that there's, there's an understanding within yourself, within the team, that this is going to be affecting, if not you, then your competitors, right? It's going to be affecting your branch, your vertical, um, and you will just as, as, as much as cyber likely be, uh, be facing this reputational cyber um, issue. So I think that's step one, and step two is really to, to make sure you're prepared, right? So get your playbook ready. And that then traditional PR has that playbook. Yeah. But think about the new world where now tr- different, we talked about different social media, different types of content are involved. Um, and that all needs the right monitoring. And once that crisis actually hits, then we're ready to, to switch and make sure that right the alerts go out, the mitigation works, 
um, and and you'll be able to to push back the the right message. Yeah, fantastic. And and on that very note about the the need for automation and and making use of the tools that are out there, you know, Rostrum, we we have a reputation management platform and. What we do is that playbook that you've talked about. And most organisations, it's on a it's on a word document and it's you know left in a um, filing cabinet until it's too late. Whereas this one is is live, it's interactive, it is able to be updated by various stakeholders. So it is like you said, and what your business is all about is about making use of the technology that's out there and finding the gaps and finding the resources that. You know, that are so important in a in a crisis and to stop a crisis from happening um and i think that's a yeah as a really uh fantastic uh conversation so thank you very much for your time thanks so much for having me grant appreciate it this is a rostrum agency production produced mixed and edited by rostrum Rostrum is a full-service communications agency offering PR, content and influencer marketing, social media, training, design and much more. Rostrum is among the UK's top 5 B2B agencies and a PR Week top 100 agency specialising in financial services, professional services, consumer and corporate campaigns as well as crisis management, content marketing and social media. Rostrum creates campaigns and content to help clients punch above their weight. Rostrum measures everything it does, delivering exceptional value for clients' budgets. To find out more, search rostrum.agency.